But what about the eternal father and mother? Have they no claim upon us? Why should we not return to them and resume the relations of the previous life? Orson F. Whitney. Welcome to the In Her Image podcast. I'm Jess Burdett, and my co-host Kate Gregory and I had the opportunity to converse with Martin Polito. Two previous interviewees on In Her Image have spoken so highly and well of Martin. Rachel Hunt Steenblick in episode 25 and MacArthur Krishna in episode 28. They both had the opportunity to work with him on various projects and we were just so thrilled to get to speak with Martin. We begin by discussing the quote that you just heard by Orson F. Whitney and then we dive a little bit more into Martin's works and his thoughts. I hope you love this conversation. Steph Whitney, who's the most prolific writer on Heavenly Mother, probably up until the 1970s in terms of men. Uh, Susie Young Gates would have been it for for women, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know he was, he was kind of fun. He'd even enter these like uh, newspaper debates with uh, you know not non Latter Day Saints on on the doctrines so of good times. Uh, and uh, in this uh, lecture that, that he had, you know, he, he asked this question. Uh, he's trying to get us in context here to think about our, our relationships with our parents and the claims we have on them and them on us. And he said, but what about the eternal father and mother? Have they no claim upon us? Why should we not return to them and resume the relations of the previous life? The reason why I liked that question is it got me thinking about, you know, in the Latter-day Saint church, we often talk about an eternal family. Um, often this is presented in the context of find a spouse, uh, find someone in which to share your life, have children, you know, um, give yourself to another and so on. Uh, and that's all lovely. Uh, but we sometimes forget about that broader eternal family that we're a part of, which is also a huge comfort and bolster in our lives. Uh, the thing that he keyed on, which is part of that, is just the the concept that we don't outgrow our eternal parents. So, we sometimes get the sense of like, hey, I leave home, I, I grow up, I, I you know move on, uh, you know I start my own home with my own kids, which hey, I've done in the earthly sense. Ooh, look at me, I'm successful. No, um, <laughs> but uh, the, it, when it comes to you know our eternal family relationship, it, it is as much that way, you know that they are our eternal parents and they're going to be with us forever. Us doing projects with them, them bright, bringing about our lives and understanding us so well um, that they're going to be the ones that help us polish off those rough edges of ourselves forever. And so really understanding that kind of that meaningful partnership you're going to have forever changes through your, your attitude a little bit towards a, a heavenly mother or heavenly father. So. Wow. Yeah. That's cool that it's to show that it's different in these different relationships that this is a forever relationship and it's someone it's two someone's that you always want to have a relationship with. like. Yeah, they love you, they know you, they're perfect, and they're trying to help you become like them. It's, uh, yeah. So it's, it's a relationship to resume, not a relationship to abandon. I love that. And that makes me just feel so much love from them. Like, they love me unconditionally. They remember me better than I remember them. And mm. they they care. So I love that. Thanks for that perspective. 
And I think we, we're all parents here, right? We feel that a little bit with our own children now. I know they haven't turned into to snotty teenagers yet, but you know what? We still feel that sense of, Hey, I have an eternal family and it's not just with my spouse. Like I'm going to connect these kids forever. I have this, this moral obligation to them throughout eternity to help them to be who they're going to be. And they don't just fall off and disappear somewhere else. We don't talk about that a lot in the Latter-day Saint church, our eternal family relationship to our children. Uh, we talk about more with our spouse, but the father, child, mother, child, parent, child relationships, uh, a huge part of it too. It gives me some hope thinking like it's not just here and now. And if I mess them up, <laughs> then that's it. You know, it's like, I have eternity to work on this relationship. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I also think of when I think about having parents that are parents of all of us, you know, I think of my kids, but then I also think of my neighbors and that they are really, truly my brothers and sisters. And that my heavenly, I believe that my heavenly parents goal is to bring all of us back, you know, as one eternal family as just back into their presence. And so hopefully that will influence, you know, the way that I interact with others or, or see others or judge others, you know, uh, as I would my own kids, you know, I give more grace to my kids than others most likely, but I'm just as related. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the debate between what can I say? Does, does love inside of the family further your Christian love or does it impede it sometimes mm. preferential uh, in your own relationship instead of using it as a, a way to expand your view of, of love towards others. So um, I don't, I don't know if I can answer that fully. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're speaking to a philosopher, so I'm sure that that's, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of questions like you that. Have answers. He's just got questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, it's great. So just a little bit of background on you. If you don't mind me giving a little intro and you can correct me if I get yeah. any of this wrong. So you studied philosophy at BYU, and you were one of the authors of the BYU Studies article, A Mother There. And then you also were a co-author of The Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother, which came out fairly recently, right? In yep. 2021, was it? That's correct. Yeah, we, we were hoping to get it out sooner than that, but uh, yeah, it uh, came out uh, just with you know publication and COVID a little bit, bit later. That's the supply chain challenges that everyone's having in the, in the business mm. world. Well, we're grateful that it's out and really excited to have this resource to use for our families and really excited that it's being carried by Deseret Book. Hallelujah. So we want to kind of talk first about the BYU Studies article and how that came about, and then we'll transition to talking more about the Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother. So our first question for you is, what prompted the BYU Studies article, A Mother There? Yeah, uh, you know, the very genesis of it probably would be best captured with Rape by Rachel, which you may have already done. I kind of jumped in a, a little bit midstream, right? Uh, so think of it as BYU used to have a Women's Research Institute. It was in place until I believe 2009. And they provided research grants, you know, to scholars at, at BYU and I believe other institutions. And one such grant was awarded to Dr. David Paulson, who had wanted to continue some of the research he'd done in a BYU studies article. It was called Are Christians Mormon? 
you wrote that in 2006. So the article kind of laid out very briefly some core LBS tenets that are seen as unusual by a lot of mainstream Christianity. And his effort that he was trying to do with the divine feminine was to lay some quick historical information about Heavenly Mother and show how some contemporary or current you know, uh, Christian thinkers were starting to align on the divine feminine a bit more. But it was a very you know high-level snapshot, uh, and it, it was an exercise in kind of basic comparative theology. Uh, so he wanted to get a lot more granular, and that's what that Women's Research Institute grant allowed us to do, is to say, hey, instead of kind of piggybacking on research done in the past, or, you know, it's being so lightweight and what we uh, looked at, what he was able to fund, you know, a research team to really uh, dig down uh, and find out what, what there really was to say about uh, Heavenly Mother. So uh, initially that grant, you know, awarded David was spearheaded by Rachel. And then when she graduated, he, he approached the research staff and said, all right, who wants to take this on? And I said, me. You know, because I was, I was very interested in it and I wanted to uh, apply my research skills in that area because I'm quite a bit of a nerd. <laughs> so <laughs> I really like to, to, you know, buckle down and read as much as I can. So, you know, there were other staff members that helped too, but I definitely quarterbacked it from that point on all the way through to, to the BYU Studies article being published. So, uh, you know, I, I doubled down and read through all Rachel's initial research, uh, appreciated what was done there. And then I thought, well, where haven't we gone here? And, you know, I, I looked, I'd done a lot of research prior, not just with Dr. Paulson with others. So I applied those skills to really, you know, dig into online resources, to special collections, to, you know, we're, we lived at, we were working at BYU. So obviously the Harold D. Lee Library had a ton of volumes of information and just in the periodical section alone. Uh, so I said, all right, time to crank these open and, and get to work. So, uh, yeah, I, I researched uh, quite some time and then, the WRI, you know, of course, they eventually come knocking on the door wanting to, you know, collect on, you know, the, the, the grant that they've issued out. Uh, and so they sent us some times to go and give a lecture, present on the, the material that we'd, uh, we'd collected. Uh, and that was in February of 2009. So I, I had to eventually turn off that faucet of just gathering more data uh, and eventually try to synthesize all of that data, you know, which, you know, I found. 500 plus, you know, sources uh, in the material I'd gathered and then tried to, you know, make a cohesive story you know, uh, out of it. So uh, mm. I, I wasn't thrilled with doing it at that point because there were gaps, you know, there's always gaps and, I, and I, it's not unique to this paper. It's anytime you do research, I'm sure historians all experience this thing of like, oh, there's more of a story to tell, but you have to stop. But I remember being frustrated at the time, <laughs> particularly in two reasons. One, the 1940s to 1970s, I knew it was going to look like it had this like slump in discourse, which I felt was artificial, uh, that being artificial because, you know, in the, that time period, it's copyrighted material. So there wasn't all of this, you know, full text search capability that you could have with older source work, right? Uh, so it, and it was more difficult to research and you needed more grunt work of just picking up volumes or reading through them, which we were doing but we couldn't do as holistically, you know, as, as we could with, with full search text capabilities. So I, I knew and was, was disquieted, <laughs> I'd say with the, the fact that it would, it would perhaps create the wrong perception of that time period, which I think it did. Uh, and also um, I, I was knew, no, I knew that we had a gap in the international front too. So the church had lots of, you know, international periodicals in which it published material too, and from church leaders uh, in, in those areas. Of course, we had similar difficulties of 
of that material not being digitized. Uh, but we also had the problem of, hey, translating the proper terms, once you're looking up the proper ones, how do you actually try to understand it in the context of what's in there? Uh, I think those were surmountable obstacles, but just not in the time frame that we had. So I think that the article could use some corrections uh, in, in those fronts that could be filled today, but we had to move ahead with, with what we had, right? Uh, so I, I built the draft for our eventual lecture for, you know, the, the Women's Research Institute, you know, the, the staff, we all polished it up together. I created some graphs for it uh, and, and we gave, we gave that lecture. It was very popular. So we gave it again in another BYU studies colloquium. Uh, and then I used some of that research to present at the BYU Student Sperry Symposium, uh, as well as the uh, Society of Mormon Philosophy and Theology uh, Symposium. So between all these different ones, we started generating some interest uh, around campus, particularly with BYU studies, and they were excited to take it on. So we said, let's do this. Well, we thought it was really great for the you know church's university academic yeah. venue to, to you know help work on this with us. Uh, we think it helped legitimize, you know, to an extent what we were doing. And so we, we really tightened the article, you know, worked with uh, Jack Welch and, and really a great editorial staff to, to get it done. And it was a, great, a real great team effort. Uh, I'm very pleased with, with the finished article. That's awesome. Well, if somebody's listening and they need a good research project, now you have two, <laughs> you know, have two holes that you could <laughs> help fill with the 1940 to 1970 research and the international. So maybe somebody will pick that up. Somebody will move into the Harold Bailey Library and begin <laughs> reading. Yeah. And then I guess there was a lot of work we just didn't even get to put out there. In other words, our article was limited to kind of church leaders. So that being, you know, general authorities, you know, women's auxiliary leaders and so on yeah. for, for church leadership as a whole. So you never really got to hear the viewpoints of, of the more everyday members, that including men and women. And I think their voices are also interesting uh, and, and ideally should see the light of day someday. <laughs> yeah. I understand that they there was a lot of poetry and did you read through like the exponent and things like that? Was that oh, yeah. part of your research? And... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very early poetry too. Some of it very bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was an English major too. Uh, I come poetry. I've written some. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with poetry. So you read some, you're like, huh, that was, that was on the nose. Not all poetry is meant to be published, but <laughs> <laughs> some should stay in the napkin. <laughs> I, I have a question. So, did this study precede the um, the gospel topics essay? on yes. heavenly mother yes. when did you see that like come up because i mean that essay is like it's like pretty short and then it's like read this like and your article is you know substantial yeah i think we, we get inklings that the the article was well received you know by the church leaders one because we got notes to that effect from some of them uh, mm. on top of that you know there were you know conference addresses or that's where that would cite our article so when you see those things, right, you think, okay, this is a, you know, a resource that's been appreciated. Uh, and so it, it was, I think, no surprise when, you know, it, the article came out and there was that reference there, uh, but, but we're grateful. And I'm also very grateful that BYU Studies has made the article so available to people, you know, instead of like paywall gating it or something yeah. like that, it made it very easy to access. And that's been wonderful. I'm really grateful for that too. 
I don't know if this is a big generalization, but I wonder if a lot of our listeners and people that now, now it seems like there's a, a robust community of, of mother seekers and, and scholars that are digging into this, but that we started at this article. So I, again, I am really grateful that it's, it was free to me. Like I remember when I was just visiting with a friend and she just kind of brought it up, just brought up like, you know, I'm on, in these online groups and they've been talking about Heavenly Mother and asking like, why don't we talk about her more? And they posted this article that states like, you know, goes through all that we have written as much as you could, as I can, you know, as much as you could about what the leaders have said and that, you know, there is no sacred silence around her and, and that just, you know, was a spark to me. So, so very grateful. You're welcome. I don't, uh, I don't always worry sometimes about the, how to say this best, uh, the way in which people talk about Heavenly Mother, they, they don't, they haven't quite fully grasped how to do that yet. And I, I understand why to an extent of, you know, you look at like, you know, Christian theology and the long time it took early Christian fathers to communicate atonement theory. There, there long time they took to communicate anything about God that was significant. Um, it's, it's not a way that you learn to speak overnight. Mm-hmm. And so once you present a concept that like, you know, God only exists as a, as a partnership of, of two beings, uh, you know, in addition to, of course, the, the, the son and the Holy spirit, there's a difficulty in learning how to communicate that well and the significance of that. And that just comes over time as people learn to articulate and explore the idea and that that's on us as a community as a whole to do. So I look at it positively. It's, it's an exciting thing. And, you know, many people would love to enter, enter in a, a theological climate like ours where, where there's something so fun to, to discover and connect with and explore. Yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> What'd you say? I whispered as if you're a third party voice. You're too optimistic, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's good to have, to kind of take a step back and have that perspective of sometimes, you know, I just did an an episode a couple back with my husband where I was saying like, sometimes I just want changes now. I just want us to all, you know, I like how you're speaking about this, like a language that we're learning how to articulate. I want us to just pick it up, you know, and move forward. But, but you're right. Things like this take time and we have to be able to know it logically and also in our heart before we can truly have a discourse about it. But it's things like the article and the boy's guide to heavenly mother, the girl's guide to heavenly mother. It's things like that, that start those thoughts and start those conversations and help the process along. So I, I'm grateful for all that you do too. And I'm grateful for your perspective of like, yeah, it's okay if it takes us a while to learn the language. For a lot of, for most people, learning a language takes some time. <laughs> yeah. And especially conceptual language, you know, and again, philosophy background. So you look at history of ideas and you know, how, how long it takes to, to make certain pivotal transitions in thought and it takes a long time. So. Don't be surprised. Uh, And I wouldn't say that's unique to Heavenly Mother there. There's an excellent book. uh, It's kind of a primary in Latter-day Saint thought 
by James Faulkner. Maybe you've heard of it recently, Thinking Otherwise. Uh, so I know that name. Yeah, I highly recommend it. What he, he does, and this, this one leads to another question you kind of sent me in an email on of, you know, what, what do we have in our culture versus what do we have in our doctrine? Can there be a tension there? Uh, and, you know, one of the main thrusts of kind of his book is that, you know, while we have these amazing Latter-day Saint revelations, we still treat God in those revelations with the historical framework of traditional Christian thought. We just immediately baptize our concepts and kind of shift them back into the old way of thinking, not mm-hmm. recognizing how radical they really are. And so that, that's part of the language shift. It's, it's very difficult to truly break from an old tradition. That's not always bad. In other words, you know, having dialogue with an old tradition is a good thing. But if you're not embracing the new ideas, what good are they? So, mm, Interesting. That's a lot to think about. How has that process been for you personally? As you have done all your studies, do you feel like you kind of already had that ability to conceptualize Heavenly Mother? Or did it come as you were doing your studies? What was that like? That's a, that's a really good question. And it's interesting as you're an adult and you, you try to reflect on your childhood and you're like, what did I think back then? You're not always <laughs> yeah. sure, right? You know, so like I, I try to remember like, huh, what was my my belief framework like before I became a missionary? And it, it's a little bit hazy, but I remember always having a, a, a belief in Heavenly Mother, you know, like I, I knew she was there. Um, I, I sang, oh, my father with an understanding. It wasn't like I just, you know, got to those lyrics and sang them and was none wiser. I, I didn't understand them. Uh, but I, I don't think that I understood the religious significance of those as much. It was kind of just a, oh, by the way, that's that's there too. Like, oh, there's Koa, there's you know, like it's it was a factoid, you know, of of my, my belief system instead of something correlated into my relationship with God. So that's something that definitely shifted over time. You know, initially you kind of have your academic hat on and you research something. Uh this can be a hindrance when you try to connect with religious matters. Definitely is that way when I study scripture sometimes too, I have to remember to, to pull off that analytic hat and try to listen to God's call instead of, you know, study the language too intensely or study the, the history or how the scripture relates to that scripture. That, that's always very fascinating, but it, it can sometimes limit your ability to connect relationally with God as, as a person. So uh, that that occurred throughout my research of, you know, treating it in this kind of objective, um, you know, distanced perspective. But then I started reflecting in a different way and I started feeling different things. And I started really loving this, this doctrine and asking myself, huh, how do I, how do I articulate this belief and how do I treasure it? You know, what is the best way to do that? And so different, different things tossed around in my mind, of course, over time. I was first, you know, of course, shocked over, over the notion of sacred silence. That was actually nothing I'd never heard. I'm probably the weirdo in that category where I was like, oh, I was raised with that. I heard that. I've heard people say their seminary teachers taught them that. I didn't have that experience growing up. So it was actually kind of strange and odd to encounter it when I did my research. I was just like, um, okay, like, really? <laughs> 
it reminded me a little bit. There's there's that part of the priesthood that's named after the Son of God, and and because out of repetition, they 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 are like, oh, we won't use that word anymore. We'll call it the, the Melchizedek priesthood. Which I always thought there's a big irony there with the the way we're like rebranded the church, trying to focus on. Yeah, it feels like we are True. we are using repetition out there, but you know, it's just interesting. Same facts, different conclusions, right? That, that people draw on things sometimes. Uh, but I, I just thought, huh, what, what an odd thing that someone would hold something to be so sacred that the way of respecting and reverencing someone is to not mention them at all. And I, I just thought, well, that's that's just the, the height of absurdity and counterintuitiveness to me. I was like, the temple's sacred, my Heavenly Father's sacred, the Holy Spirit's sacred, Jesus Christ is sacred. Um, they're all equally sacred, you know. Uh, why is it that some, you know, they're so sacred they can't be mentioned? And I was can I just... I didn't see any intuitive hierarchy of sacredness for education. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that seemed to be an extremely fallacious um, approach. And that, that's why I, I think maybe I, I over-articulated that, uh, a Mother There article, uh, what, why I didn't think that was the case. Uh, one, because the research showed it, but it also seemed strangely preposterous to me. So uh, maybe I went too far. <laughs> uh, and now that's not to say that it didn't exist in the culture. And I'm, Sure, there was, you know, writers or, or professors uh, or, you know, other me- well-meaning people, mission presidents, who knows, that, that said such things. But there's you, you have to distinguish between the, the folklore um, and, and the literature leadership said. So, uh, so anyway, uh, that, that shift happened to me. It was fascinating to, you know, see the, the way people had reacted to it in the past. But then uh, I, I gave a article well, I gave a presentation or an article at the Society of Mormon Philosophy and Theology, and an audience member asked me, they said, well, what do you think would uh, actually have an impact on the Latter-day Saint faith in terms of talking about Heavenly Mother more? Uh, and uh, I was probably being coy, but I said, well, not not venues like this one. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure that it took a little bit of back. But I was saying, you know, the, the you know, intellectual academic community is only a very small thread that, that is in any religious faith. So, so to presume that that would have a huge impact, you know, I, I thought was a bit much. Now, hey, the article's had impact. So maybe I stand corrected to, to an extent. Uh, but I told him at the time, I, I said, well, I, I think it would have the most impact would actually be art. I was like, art is something that is transmitted, it is shared, you know, it's, it catches on quickly. Uh, and so as a result of that, I, uh, I went and did an art contest, you know, to try to, you know, promote artistic representation of Heavenly Mother. And I, I, I decided to put with it poetry because poetry is a more common artistic um, medium. For discussing Heavenly Mother, I mean, hey, the, the oldest reference to Heavenly Mother is from William W. Phelps, just before Joseph Smith dies about four months, uh, and it's in the form of a hymn. Uh, so y- you would expect, you know, that, that tradition to continue, and it has. But when it you, you look at artistic, you know, like visual representation, I'd only seen, I'd only seen one, but in hindsight, there's three that have led up to, to that, you know, contest uh, in which there was art. And so I said, hey, let's really try to drum this up. So it was really exciting to do that, uh, wondering who I should use as judges. My aunt was a, a curator at the BYU Museum of Art, you know, Marion Wardle. And I worked with her to select someone. And then since I was part of the English department at BYU, I was like, hi, I know someone who can do this. <laughs> so I worked between them. And then that was really, really neat to do with uh, Carolyn Klein, 
Uh, so I, I knew it was the sort of thing I wanted to do on my own. One, every project's better with more people. You're going to get more viewpoints. People are going to push you. You're going to have some pet idea and someone's going to call you out on it. And it, it just, you know, keep, keeps you more honest. Hey, you guys are co-hosts for a reason. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, the way of keeping each other motivated and honest is a great thing. So she definitely did that for me. And it was really fun to see the output that came from that. And then what that spiraled into with artists from that contest doing like, maybe you've seen the desert book, uh, our heavenly family, earthly families. Yeah. 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 So Caitlin Connolly, you know, she, she submitted to the contest and then they did that work, with, you know, MacArthur. Uh, and then of course, take a lot of that work. And have you heard a dove song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I've I, heard of it. Yeah. So that's a poetry anthology. I worked with one of the, the poets from the contest is Dana Patterson, wonderful poet. Uh, and then Tyler Chadwick, who, who put together a volume of Latter-day Saint poetry, pretty well respected, called Fire in the Pasture. And so he was reading songs from our contest on, on a, I guess, a, a kind of audio podcast himself. Uh, and I, I, we kind of started talking. And then, so then we put together this anthology together that we published with Peculiar Pages. So the three of us edited it. And then we, we got a round of new poets to come in there and got some new visual pieces. So it's a pretty fun little volume. Uh, that, that we did there. And then that spiraled into people doing other work. So I think the art one in some ways was the more satisfying of my projects. Well, I enjoyed the mother there one there and it was you know, wonderful to, to do and do all that research. And I'm a nerd for that. Um, it's, it's neat to see people express themselves, which is different from them hearing and reading someone else. Right. So it, it's great to hear something, but to see reaction through art, the, the creative process that people go into is they hear ideas. That's really fun. So that's been, been very heartwarming to see. That's awesome. You said that you're a bit of a poet yourself and that you've written some poems. Have you written anything about Heavenly Mother? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it was in Dove Song, you know, so. Do you have it handy or memorized that you'd uh, want to share with us? That's a good question. Um let me, let me, I'm going to have to pause here a minute. I'm going to have to run into the other room and see if I can grab the volume. So one moment. Okay. Oh. okay. We love it. Hey, I'm back. Oh, Hopefully I don't already. talk too much and I'm not boring you guys. So. Oh, this is like what we, what is keeping us alive right now? Or at least <laughs> I'll speak for myself. This keeps me spiritually alive. So. <laughs> All right. Did, did you want me to read one of them or what, what did you want? Yeah. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to hear right, one. So, so I'm Dove Song here. So this is the, the work that we published with uh, Peculiar Pages. There's many better poets in here than me. I freely admit that this was my, my a weak attempt to contribute, you know, to, to every, all the other goodness that, that I saw going on. Uh, this is more of a personal poem. Some other ones are a little bit more uh, academic or speculative. So, yeah, I'll, I'll share this one here. It's called Windows. I used to go out for a walk and speak to the night's cyclopean eye and its freckled face. I thought I might woo God, the woman in the moon, out of her hiding place where she spies on mortals with an enormous telescope. I kept thinking if I buzzed long enough, like cicadas on my trees in muggy evenings, she, like Christ's unjust judge, might grow weary and give me a wink or a blush or even a rude gesture to let me know of her affections. But science seeking grew boring. I tired of dolling up her silences and answer, or seeing symbols of her stitched in nature's quilt and patches of trees, eggs, or bees. So I buttoned up the soul I'd laid bare and sauntered off. Imagine my surprise 
When I arrived home with the parcel men at the door, who had me signed for a package containing a trilby hat, a pile of rocks, and a note telling me I'd know what to do. God may have a knack for enlivening, lighting, and enlarging stones, but I still felt foolish as I dropped them in the hat's crown on the off chance of the heavenly peep, Siddhartha and Enlightenment or practical joke. No beloved apostle's apocalypse, no picturesque panorama is presented to Nephi. I had every right to be disappointed when I noticed looking on a stone in the hat, spun my mind's wheel and had its needle fall in a memory. The leopard's heavy paw that woke me from addiction stupor on a Namibian night. The voice by which I sang the gospel's joyous blues to Cajuns and their crawfish. The course I'd sailed through reason's meandering maths. As I dwelt on words with which I blessed my twice-born son, Eliza's secret something, the christened muse, wrapped me in its radiant wreath and whispered, these are windows through which shines her grace. Beautiful. Well, you're obligated you. to say that because I'm on here. I mean, you say it's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I quit that that's, hor- <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. So. Yeah, I, I try. <laughs> I loved it. It transported me. It was great. Yeah. Thank you for but sharing yeah. that. Fun to see all the contributions from people like Rachel. The first time she wrote poems was for a contest and, and, yeah. and, and to you know, dub song. So it's been fun to see the volumes she's done since. Uh, and of course, many other poets too. So. Yeah. I wanted to say, you know, as you explained all that, just how I really appreciate seeing like, here's this, the intellectual side. Like if we think about when we're growing our faith, any faith in anything, there's an element of it of like, okay, I'm, I'm digging into the scriptures. I'm trying to analyze this. I'm trying to say, does this make sense? And then there's the other half of it that's just like, what What do I feel? What does this, you know, uh, what does my intuition say? What is resonating with me? And then how does it express in my life? And so, yeah, turning this, like you said, factoid that, oh, yep, we have a Heavenly Mother into not only something that's much more fleshed out theologically, but then also giving voice and opportunity for artists to express that like what does it actually mean to me to be a a daughter or a son of a heavenly mother and I think it yeah it goes a lot deeper than just that um, intellectual side but both are necessary so I'll have to check out I think Dove Song is you can buy it on Amazon yeah that's correct Uh, I guess if I was to call it any other transition I made it's probably when I started mentioning my Heavenly Mother in my prayers. Uh, I remember initially on it, it kind of felt like there's this gated wall to, you know, prayer that, you know, mentioning could be, you know, problematic with some of the instruction uh, that, that we'd received from, you know, President Hinckley uh, as relates to, to prayer and praying to our Heavenly Father. I think that that talk is sometimes read a little more strictly than, than is intended. But that, that aside, I came to a conclusion of, you know, mentioning Heavenly Mother in my prayers was was fine. I mean, if I can mention Satan in my prayers, um, I should be able to create a, I don't know, oratory presence for, for my Heavenly Mother in prayer too. So, you know, why, why can't I thank my Heavenly Father for what he and Heavenly Mother have done? You know, well, why can't I say these things? And so giving presence for her in my prayer affected, I'm sure, some of my attitude and worship too. 
that was only you know a shift I made a few years ago. So it's interesting to see those little incremental changes that each person has to make of you know, what what they feel comfortable with, what what they they feel is right with God. So uh, everyone has to come to their own conclusion there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been part of my journey as well. And I think a lot of people get to a point. I have people reach out on my Instagram because I talk about this pretty much exclusively <laughs> on my Instagram account, her scriptures. And I have people say sometimes like, do you pray to her? Or like, is is this okay? You know, and I'm like, I'm not going to tell you how to pray or who to pray to, you know, but I'll just say I have included her in my prayers and they're still answered just like they were before. So, hmm. you know, <laughs> prayer is a personal thing between you and God and you get to decide who who that is <laughs> yeah but uh, again we we mentioned the holy spirit we mentioned jesus christ in our prayers we're not, not praying to them but we mention them in them right and they're very sacred to us and part of our prayer experience and so i, I think as larry saying it's even with the, the guidelines we're given from our leaders we can definitely you know keep a, a prayerful presence for her definitely thank you thank you for answering that question so well, I love hearing all these details and just learning more about your experience and your process. Um, you've shared about some of the people who have been influential in your process, but are there any more partners who have kind of walked with you along this path of unveiling her? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, right? I mean, I when <laughs> it's probably a dozen plus I could think of, of course, you know, Dr. Paulson and, and the research staff there with Rachel. Her and I didn't talk as much on the staff at the time as more more later, but you know I would definitely consider her partner there. Uh, then there was the ones I worked with uh, in the, my research papers I presented. So one, my best friend from college, Eric Dowdle, he presented at the SMPT with me, and I remember going to the BYU Creamery and we just talked to to the Latter Day Saint girls and we we're just like, hey, what does something mother mean to you? And it's just fun to like hear from them and listen to them about their experiences. So uh, mm -hmm. those were some. Great, great treasured times at the BYU Creamery on night. Uh, <laughs> then there was, you know, of course, all of the people I worked with in other projects. I mentioned Carolyn Klein, who'd been involved with me, the judges, Herman DeToy and uh, Susan Elizabeth Howe. They've also done some, probably Susan has also did some great contribution here and, and wrote an introduction uh, to this book. Uh, then there was, uh, oh, Tyler Chadwick and Dana from, uh, you know, the Dove Song to MacArthur. Krishna, he'd mentioned uh, with our Heavenly Family or Earthly Families. Uh, she was had done the girl's guide to Heavenly Mother and, you know, had said, well, look, I keep getting all these questions on, hey, why not, why not a boy's guide too? You know, why is it just a girl's mm -hmm. guide? And I was like, amen, you know. I, I actually was a little <laughs> pet peeve when people feel like, you know, th this is, you know, a doctor for Latter-day Saint women. And I was like, bah humbug. You know, I just thought, thought that was the, one of the silliest things I'd heard. So uh, I, I, you know, had a lot of fun working with her on, you know, the, the Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother. And I, I'd be very, very surprised if, if MacArthur and I don't work on, on something else together in the future. She's just, her, her personality is wonderful. She's a workhorse. She's, I, I click with her. So uh, I, I consider her amazing. So um, I'm trying to think of anyone else I would mention. Yeah, those those are the main ones that, that jump out. If I forgot someone and they're listening to this, I am sorry. You were great. You were wonderful. <laughs> so, <laughs> all the artists, you know, that contributed to the initial, you know, contest and, and you know, the, throughout. So 
Great. <laughs> There's the partners. That leads right into, well, you've answered this question, but I want, you know, I wonder if there's anything else you would want to say about why do you personally feel that it's important for you to know that you have a mother in heaven? Yeah. What did that change for you when you started to internalize it? Yeah. I am getting this question a lot, a lot recently. Maybe it's because my my reaction to people saying that it isn't for men. You know, they want to know this. I have to admit at, at face value, and maybe it's because, you know, I had a really loving earthly mother and I've, I've had a very great relationship with my wife that, you know, it kind of in my head sounds like, you know, you know, why should a, a boy want to learn about their earthly mother? You know, I'm like, well, of course mm-hmm. they gave birth to you. They, they took care of you. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want that? I mean, <laughs> and if, if we, we think that in terms of earthly things, why wouldn't we think that in terms of, of heavenly things? For another thought experiment here, like imagine if we kept asking women everywhere, why do you want to learn about heavenly father? I just, I just don't understand. It's like, you know, what, 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 why? It's not for you. It's, it's for men. You know, like all of us would immediately feel that that seems strange and we'd be like, no, it should be the other way around, right? So I, I, I use that just as a way of, you know, inverting things so, so that one can be like, oh, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense that someone would want to understand their parents that sacrificed to bring them into existence, right? And have, have taken an eternal responsibility over them and sent their own older brother, you know, Jesus Christ, to, to suffer for and atone for their, their sins. So from that context, and I know that's more of a, you might say a, a thought experiment as to why versus, you know, a personal communication. I, I'm just hoping that that one can quickly think through, oh yeah, this, this should matter to everyone. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, you know, on, I guess on, on the personal you know level, I think it ties to that quote I read you early on. Uh, well, I showed that book. This is the boy's guide from, uh, you know, Orson F. Whitney. And I have this person who loves me so deeply. They've been there for me. They always have. Yeah, God is veiled in our lives. That's intentional. You know, but we're supposed to grow on our own and choose the good without their overbearing presence. But that said, they are there for me and they've been, you know, cheering me on, helping me all along, helping me be all I should be. And if that person is there, how can I not want to connect with them and give my all for them and and you know love them? So I feel that for my heavenly mother. And you know, she she's my guardian, she's my supporter. Uh, and so I'm just excited to to be her son and to try to be like her. You know, she's my role model. I I, I don't have to have a gender bound role model. Well, why does why does my mm-hmm. heavenly father have to be my only role model? That's that's silly. I think so. We encourage women to look at the prophet and other people like male role models. Why why can't men do the same? So there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love that testimony. Like, yeah, if somebody's there for you. Why would you just? want to keep ignoring them you know those are the friends to keep close you know and you brought up like that she's your role model even as a man and that's one of the points in your book uh, in the book you helped with a, a boy's guide to heavenly mother that she is your role model and i love that so expounding on that in helping to write this book what are what vision do you see of boys learning about and gaining a testimony of their heavenly mother what what would that change for you maybe as a young boy or you know why do you think it's important yeah i mean besides duh yeah i mean yeah there's the points i made which are equally valid here right but i do think that 
the doctrine of Heavenly Mother taught to boys is especially significant in, in some senses. The ones that come to mind, and I did write on this for um, an exponent blog post, so, so there's going to be some repetition here. Uh, but I, I think back to an experience I had as a freshman at, at BYU. I, I drove up to, you know, Farmington in Utah. We were staying with, um, you know, one of our, our roommates, girlfriends, families. And uh, while we were there, we, we watched a conference, you know, over at their house. And as we were going to watch it, there would inevitably, of course, be, you know, female speakers that would come up. And of course, this was the time for all the men to take a break. You know, you go over, you get <sighs> chips, you get your salsa, you know, you go, you go eat that. Because, you know, they don't really speak for God anyway. They're just talking about, you know, babies and primary stuff and, you know, th- things that matter for women. So this is the time in which, you know, the, 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 you can check out. And these were just implicit behaviors. These things were, you know, literally said you know, out, out loud. So, you know, it, it gets you yeah. to, to see that, that when you have a, a certain view of God, you know, or, you know, leaders, you know, being a particular gender that, that can cause you to somewhat disregard, you know, the words of, of other people. Uh, and, and I think that, and I could be wrong on this assumption, but I think that when boys, you know, see God, a woman in God, that their attitude towards the, the sanctity, the importance, the authority of what women have to say would, would drastically change. So that, that is, is one point I would make. Well, you know, women might take that as a matter of course, where a boy, you know, might actually need to, to learn and come to that conclusion. Well, clearly we did, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, over at that <laughs> general conference uh, experience. The other one that I think is, is useful, and this ties to our Latter-day Saint theology again. When we talk about eternal progression, we can kind of get focused on an Azami thing. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I'm just going to get better. I'm going to master piano. I'm going to cr- climb the corporate ladder. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to master the sport. I'm just going to be amazing. You know, you, you get the sense of it's all about you. And when you think about God as your heavenly parents, that equation has to change. You know, you start realizing perfection is not just about you. And perfection isn't just a quantitative thing. It's qualitative. You know, relationships aren't quantitative. You know, they're, they're, they're on a different plane. They're open-ended. They're, they're like continuing revelation. They just kind of keep going and, and keep being defined day after day. Uh, and so when you realize that success and divinity and perfection is tied to something so qualitative, that can really rupture your sense as a man of what your success means in life. As men, we are taught, especially as, for better or for worse, as modern Latter-day Saint men, I mean, it's, it's been very ingrained, at least in my early millennial generation, of what success means of, you know, through corporate ladder climbing and through, you know, earning lots of money and so on. So it's, it's a hard thing to ingrain out of us is that that's not all what it means. Now I understand people, my generation are making those headways, but nonetheless, you know, that is there. And so I think teaching our boys as they grow up, you know, a different way, which I think teaching our kids what success means is a big part of our responsibility as parents could have a significant impact on them. So there you go. Those are the, the two that, that, that stood out to me. I, there's probably many other reasons, right? But I'm making points of emphasis here. Yeah, those are awesome. Yeah, I think just what, what you were saying sparked for me was just thinking about, like you said, these masculine ideas of like achievement and, you know, making a lot of money, whatever. We have those kind of set up and, and by default, the 
other goals and values are kind of left by the wayside. Some that maybe seem more feminine, like intuition and nurturing and emotional connectedness. And yeah, if we see like, well, this way is the only, is the way to success. This is my, this is my arc instead of seeing the whole picture of, of heavenly parents and that we all have both of those characteristics and the value of that. Anyway. Man, we're not always given lots of opportunities for that, you know, as, as Mormon men. And I'm not, not that I'm trying to be like a masculinist here, you know, <laughs> I think we, you know, all these things, but you know, we're just like, like women are, are changing, men need to change too. One thing I've always envied uh, about the sisters in the ward is think of like the visiting teaching program. Yes, it's called ministering, you know, now, but it's always been a, a one-on-one relationship. Yeah. You have a companion you go with and you teach with music. Then with, with the men, we always, we always interact with people, at least in family wards. I'm sure it's different in singles wards, but in terms of like a family unit, you don't get to connect with someone on, on an individual level, which means that many of your family conversations that you have when you minister is going to be incredibly superficial. And yes. get to a very deep level. That doesn't mean you can't help in other ways. And that's that's not to criticize that there isn't a benefit to how it's done, but it does mean that men are kept from the relationships that, that women in the church could have. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that's true. I, I presume your relationship's different with your ministry sisters, but they actually visit you. I understand there's always that caveat uh, versus the one that these ministering brothers have with your husband. Yeah. Well, you've shared so much with us, so many awesome stories that really have been inspiring. And, and I sh- appreciate your your perspectives, especially as one of the few men that we've had on the podcast so far. And I hope that, you know, our listeners will share this with their loved ones and, and listen to you say, duh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> this is as important to boys as it is to girls. So, yeah, is there any closing thoughts or anything you would like to leave with our listeners who maybe are starting this this journey of, of learning of and connecting with Heavenly Mother? Huh, that's an interesting question. I, I hadn't thought of of you know it, it from that perspective of you know someone who's just, you know, I'd seen getting uh, acclimated, you know, to it. Um I'd say uh, you know, there's a lot of good good resources that are out there now. I already I even think it's just a great primer if you're not necessarily approaching it strictly from a, a heavenly mother perspective, but a heavenly parents perspective, which I, I think is mm-hmm. really, really crucial. If we were just like a faith that had like, I don't know, a, a feminine God and replaced a heavenly father, that actually wouldn't be very interesting to me. I, I would, you know, I'm sure still appreciate to an extent, but for me, what's so novel and, and wonderful is that no one's divine separate. It's not like a separate God of thunder and then there's a God of the hearth and God or whatever, you know. They, they are connect, connected together, all of the gods of all these things. So um, I, I think that's a, a wonderful idea. Um, and I think some of the start of that is in that thinking otherwise that I mentioned from, from Professor Faulkner to kind of give a kind of ground basis more for, for Joseph Smith's revelation of God. I'm not going to make selfish uh, plays for my own books. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of work from artists that, that I would take a look at. Um, MacArthur's obviously got a good corpus of work that started I know that there's been a a couple galleries put on in Utah this past year uh, for those interested in visual arts. Yeah. I'd just say it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Be excited about it. My 
thing that would tickle me and I'd be happy uh, with is if one day our, our church appreciated the doctrine of Heavenly Mother just as much as the Catholic Church does uh, the Virgin Mary. So if, mm. if we were able to have that, that level of affection one day, I, I, w- I would be thrilled. Um, that that's, may, may seem as total wishful thinking, <laughs> but uh, it, it's uh, you know it's something that I, I do think we as a uh, culture can embrace. And I would say feel comfortable, you know, mentioning her uh, in your talks, uh, in your testimonies. I, I do so. I, I feel no qualms doing it. You'll, you'll find that many people will talk to you afterwards and say thank you. You know, uh, it, it's a completely normal, okay thing to talk about. And, you know, you just need practice doing it just like anything else. You know, you went to primary and they give you a slip and you had to learn how to talk on, you know, a certain subject matter. This is no different. It's something else to you have to, you know, build experience around, but that, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah, I often think of it as like, you know, what Alma tells us to do is plant the seed nourish it and see if it's a good seed. So just pondering on some of these resources that you've shared. So thank you so much for your time and for all the research you've done and, and art you've inspired like Rachel Hunt Steenblick, you know, when you told her about this art show and she was like, Oh, sounds great. I'll tell other people, you know, and then now she has two, at least two books that were very meaningful for me in my beginning of my study. So you've inspired a lot and sorry that we're gushing so much, but (laughs) I'll humble myself. (laughs) I'll talk to my wife. She'll she'll humble me. (laughs) Yeah. I really appreciate what Rachel did there. Um, And I think that's a great attitude. You know, sometimes we're like, Oh, someone else will go solve these things. You're going to do these things. Why not you? Why not me? You know, why, why can't we be part of our community and, and own somewhat the discourse that we have in our faith and how we talk about it's not limited to Heavenly Mother. It's, it's really everything. So, you know, what, what is the church but us writ large? You know, so. Wow. Yeah. So true. Thank you so much. I know I've been edified just sitting here listening to you. And so I'm sure that our listeners will be thrilled as well. And... Thank you for all this work that you've done too. I mean, it's it's inspiring and hopefully it'll inspire others too to think, hmm, what can I add? What can I do? What art or poetry or initiatives can I take? So thank you so much for being an example of that. You're welcome. Uh, if you ever want me to talk on something else, uh, apparently I like pontificating, so, you know, <laughs> 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 I'm We're happy to have another enthusiast, so... Yeah, it's been really fun. We'd love to have you back. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. And if you haven't yet, please leave us a review. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a monthly donation at anchor.fm slash inherimage. You can also send us a voice message at the same website sharing one of your stories about Heavenly Mother We would love to hear it and might even share it in a future episode. We hope you'll tune in next Sunday for another inspiring episode.